Alma chapter 43. In the previous seven chapters, we have dealt with Alma's instructions to his three sons. This may have diverted our attention away from the great military crisis which was occurring as we concluded chapter 35. It will be recalled that the Zoramites were outraged that the Nephites had provided a haven for those of their members who had been converted by Ammon and his missionaries. They had therefore combined with the Lamanites to plan a massive attack on the Nephites. The attack was to be aimed at Jershon, south of Antionum. The intent was to avenge themselves against their own people. First of all, the people of Ammon, who had been converted by the Nephite missionaries, and more recently the converts which had been made by Alma and his missionaries. However, the people of Ammon were a special problem, since they were under covenant never to shed any more blood. They were therefore moved from Jershon to a territory west of the Sidon River called Melech. However, the Zonamites, which had been converted by Alma and his missionaries, remained behind to fight. This was the situation when Alma learned that his life's mission would soon be terminated, and that is why he had gathered his sons together and given them their final instructions. Then they all went forth to preach to stir up the spirits of the people in preparation for the coming conflict with the Lamanites. And now it came to pass that the sons of Alma did go forth among the people to declare the word unto them. And Alma also himself could not rest, and he also went forth. It is interesting that Corianton joined Alma and his two brethren in this last-minute campaign to mobilize the spiritual strength of the people. Now we shall say no more concerning their preaching, except that they preached the word and the truth according to the spirit of prophecy and revelation. And they preached after the holy order of God, by which they were called. It soon became apparent what the Lamanites had in mind. And now I return to an account of the wars between the Nephites and the Lamanites. In the eighteenth year of the reign of the judges. For behold, it came to pass that the Zoramites became Lamanites. Therefore in the commencement of the eighteenth year, the people of the Nephites saw that the Lamanites were coming upon them, Therefore they made preparations for war, yea, they gathered together their armies in the land of Jershon. And it came to pass that the Lamanites came with their thousands, and they came into the land of Antionum, which is the land of the Zoramites. And a man by the name of Zarahemna was their leader. And now as the Amalekites were of a more wicked and murderous disposition than the Lamanites were, in and of themselves, Therefore Zarahemna appointed chief captains over the Lamanites, and they were all Amalekites and Zoramites. Now this he did that he might preserve their hatred towards the Nephites, that he might bring them into subjection to the accomplishment of his designs. For behold, his designs were to stir up the Lamanites to anger against the Nephites. This he did that he might usurp great power over them, and also that he might gain power over the Nephites by bringing them into bondage. The intent of the Nephites was just the opposite, but they knew their situation was desperate. And now the design of the Nephites was to support their lands and their houses and their wives and their children, that they might preserve them from the hands of their enemies. 
and also that they might preserve their rights and their privileges, yea, and also their liberty, that they might worship God according to their desires. For they knew that if they should fall into the hands of the Lamanites, that whosoever should worship God in spirit and in truth, the true and the living God, the Lamanites would destroy. Yea, and they also knew the extreme hatred of the Lamanites towards their brethren, who were the people of Anti-Nephi-Lehi, who were called the people of Ammon. And they would not take up arms. Yea, they had entered into a covenant, and they would not break it. Therefore, if they should fall into the hands of the Lamanites, they would be destroyed, and the Nephites would not suffer that they should be destroyed. Therefore, they gave them lands for their inheritance. The spirit of the Nephites is reflected in the way they treated the Lamanites who had been converted and who had joined the Nephites. And the people of Ammon did give unto the Nephites a large portion of their substance to support their armies. And thus the Nephites were compelled alone to withstand against the Lamanites, who were a compound of Laman and Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael, and all those who had dissented from the Nephites who were Amalekites and Zoramites and the descendants of the priests of Noah. Now those descendants were as numerous nearly as were the Nephites, and thus the Nephites were obliged to contend with their brethren even unto bloodshed. It is amazing that the Nephites who had apostatized and joined the Lamanites were almost as numerous as the Nephites who had remained faithful. These apostates had joined with the Lamanites in Antionum, the headquarters of the apostate Zoramites. But when the vast host of Lamanites and their allies came down to the land of Jershon, they had a great surprise awaiting them. Thus we are introduced to the new young leader of the Nephites, whose name was Moroni. And it came to pass, as the armies of the Lamanites had gathered together in the land of Antionum, behold, the armies of the Nephites were prepared to meet them in the land of Jershon. Now the leader of the Nephites, or the man who had been appointed to be the chief captain over the Nephites, now the chief captain took the command of all the armies of the Nephites, and his name was Moroni. And Moroni took all the command and the government of their wars. And he was only twenty and five years old when he was appointed chief captain over the armies of the Nephites. And it came to pass that he met the Lamanites in the borders of Jershon. And his people were armed with swords and with scimitars and all manner of weapons of war. And when the armies of the Lamanites saw that the people of Nephi, or that Moroni, had prepared his people with breastplates and with armed shields, yea, and also shields to defend their heads, and also they were dressed with thick clothing, now the army of Zarahemla was not prepared with any such thing. They had only their swords and their scimitars, their bows and their arrows, their stones and their slings. And they were naked, save it were a skin which was girded about their loins. Yea, all were naked, save it were the Zoramites and the Amalekites. In ancient times it was often considered a display of courage to fight naked. The Greeks did this, and so did the Lamanites and their allies. But suddenly the Lamanite armies knew they were at a great disadvantage. But they were not armed with breastplates nor shields. Therefore they were exceedingly afraid of the armies of the Nephites because of their armor. 
notwithstanding their number being so much greater than the Nephites. Behold, now it came to pass that they durst not come against the Nephites in the borders of Jershon. Therefore they departed out of the land of Antionum into the wilderness, and took their journey round about in the wilderness, away by the head of the river Sidon, that they might come into the land of Manti and take possession of the land. For they did not suppose that the armies of Moroni would know whither they had gone. It is interesting that as the masses of the Lamanites fled in terror before the sight of the armed Nephites, Captain Moroni did two things. But it came to pass, as soon as they had departed into the wilderness, Moroni sent spies into the wilderness to watch their camp. And Moroni also, knowing of the prophecies of Alma, sent certain men unto him, desiring him that he should inquire of the Lord whither the armies of the Nephites should go to defend themselves against the Lamanites. And it came to pass that the word of the Lord came unto Alma. And Alma informed the messengers of Moroni that the armies of the Lamanites were marching round about in the wilderness, that they might come over into the land of Manti, that they might commence an attack upon the weaker part of the people. And those messengers went and delivered the message unto Moroni. By turning to the map on the flyleaf of Volume 3, it is easier to follow the movement of these armies during this extensive military maneuvering between the Lamanites and Nephites. Now Moroni, leaving a part of his army in the land of Jershon, lest by any means a part of the Lamanites should come into that land and take possession of the city, took the remaining part of his army and marched over into the land of Manti. And he caused that all the people in that quarter of the land should gather themselves together to battle against the Lamanites, to defend their lands and their country, their rights and their liberties. Therefore they were prepared against the time of the coming of the Lamanites. It is interesting that Alma devoted so much space to the military stratagem of Captain Moroni. He seems fascinated that this brilliant young captain was able to completely outmaneuver the massive armies of the Lamanites. And it came to pass that Moroni caused that his army should be secreted in the valley which was near the bank of the river Sidon, which was on the west of the river Sidon in the wilderness. And Moroni placed spies round about, that he might know when the camp of the Lamanites should come. And now as Moroni knew the intention of the Lamanites, that it was their intention to destroy their brethren, or to subject them and bring them into bondage, that they might establish a kingdom unto themselves over all the land. And he also knowing that it was the only desire of the Nephites to preserve their lands, and their liberty, and their church, Therefore he thought it no sin that he should defend them by stratagem. Therefore he found by his spies which course the Lamanites were to take. Now Alma continues his description of the stratagem of Captain Moroni. Therefore he divided his army and brought a part over into the valley and concealed them on the east and on the south of the hill Ripla. And the remainder he concealed in the west valley on the west of the river Sidon, and so down into the borders of the land Manti. And thus, having placed his army according to his desire, he was prepared to meet them.
And it came to pass that the Lamanites came up on the north of the hill where a part of the army of Moroni was concealed. We were also introduced to another great warrior named Lehi, who will play a magnificent role in this series of wars with the Lamanites. And as the Lamanites had passed the hill Ripla and came into the valley and began to cross the river Sidon, the army which was concealed on the south of the hill, which was led by a man whose name was Lehi, and he led his army forth and encircled the Lamanites about on the east in their rear. And it came to pass that the Lamanites, when they saw the Nephites coming upon them in their rear, turned them about and began to contend with the army of Lehi. And the work of death commenced on both sides. But it was more dreadful on the part of the Lamanites, for their nakedness was exposed to the heavy blows of the Nephites, with their swords and their scimitars, which brought death almost at every stroke. While on the other hand there was now and then a man fell among the Nephites, by their swords and the loss of blood, they being shielded from the more vital parts of the body, or the more vital parts of the body being shielded from the strokes of the Lamanites, by their breastplates and their arm shields and their headplates, and thus the Nephites did carry on the work of death among the Lamanites. And it came to pass that the Lamanites became frightened because of the great destruction among them, even until they began to flee towards the river Sidon. And they were pursued by Lehi and his men. And they were driven by Lehi into the waters of Sidon, and they crossed the waters of Sidon. And Lehi retained his armies upon the bank of the river Sidon, that they should not cross. Now Moroni's stratagem came into full operation. The Lamanites must have been terrified when they tried to escape and suddenly found themselves trapped and surrounded. And it came to pass that Moroni and his army met the Lamanites in the valley on the other side of the river Sidon, and began to fall upon them and to slay them. And the Lamanites did flee again before them, towards the land of Manti, and they were met again by the armies of Moroni. Alma now gives us a description of the slaughter that took place as the Lamanites fought like demons to try to extricate themselves from the trap Moroni and Lehi had set up to defeat them. Now in this case the Lamanites did fight exceedingly. Yea, never had the Lamanites been known to fight with such exceeding great strength and courage. No, not even from the beginning. And they were inspired by the Zoramites and the Amalekites, who were their chief captains and leaders, and by Zarahemna, who was their chief captain or their chief leader and commander. Yea, they did fight like dragons, and many of the Nephites were slain by their hands. Yea, for they did smite in two many of their headplates, and they did pierce many of their breastplates, and they did smite off many of their arms, and thus the Lamanites did smite in their fierce anger. Nevertheless, the Nephites were inspired by a better cause, for they were not fighting for monarchy nor power, but they were fighting for their homes and their liberties, their wives and their children, and their all, yea, for their rights of worship and their church. And they were doing that which they felt was the duty which they owed to their God. For the Lord had said unto them, and also unto their fathers, that, Inasmuch as ye are not guilty of the first offense, neither the second. Ye shall not suffer yourselves to be slain by the hands of your enemies. And again the Lord has said that, 
ye shall defend your families even unto bloodshed. Therefore for this cause were the Nephites contending with the Lamanites to defend themselves and their families, and their lands, their country, and their rights, and their religion. But this was no easy victory. In fact, at one point the fierceness of the Lamanites almost melted the courage of the Nephites until Moroni rallied the spirits of the people and had them pierce the heavens with a cry unto God to help them preserve their liberty and their freedom. It was at that moment that the course of the battle shifted to the advantage of the Nephites. And it came to pass that when the men of Moroni saw the fierceness and the anger of the Lamanites, they were about to shrink and flee from them. And Moroni, perceiving their intent, sent forth and inspired their hearts with these thoughts, yea, the thoughts of their lands, their liberty, yea, their freedom from bondage. And it came to pass that they turned upon the Lamanites, and they cried with one voice unto the Lord their God, for their liberty and their freedom from bondage. And they began to stand against the Lamanites with power. And in that selfsame hour that they cried unto the Lord for their freedom, the Lamanites began to flee before them, and they fled even to the waters of Sidon. In the end it was the brilliant strategy of Moroni and Lehi that brought this bloody conflict to a conclusion. Here is the way Alma describes it. Now the Lamanites were more numerous, yea, by more than double the number of the Nephites. Nevertheless they were driven, insomuch that they were gathered together in one body in the valley upon the bank by the river Sidon. Therefore the armies of Moroni encircled them about, yea, even on both sides of the river. For behold, on the east were the men of Lehi. Therefore when Zarahemna saw the men of Lehi on the east of the river Sidon, and the armies of Moroni on the west of the river Sidon, that they were encircled about by the Nephites, they were struck with terror. Now Moroni, when he saw their terror, commanded his men that they should stop shedding their blood. This is all Moroni wanted. He had no desire to spill a single drop of blood beyond what was absolutely necessary. Moroni thereupon commanded the fighting to stop. Alma chapter 44 Apparently Moroni wished to reduce the tension sufficiently to permit the two leaders to talk sensibly about terms of an armistice. Therefore Moroni had his troops disengaged from battle, and the two leaders withdrew a short distance from them. This was a tense and dramatic moment. Moroni had exhibited great restraint in not allowing his troops to exterminate the Lamanites. Therefore he was very blunt in addressing the murderous Zarahemna. Moroni first made a preliminary statement. And it came to pass that they did stop and withdrew a pace from them. And Moroni said unto Zarahemna, Behold, Zarahemna, that we do not desire to be men of blood. Ye know that ye are in our hands, yet we do not desire to slay you. Behold, we have not come out to battle against you that we might shed your blood for power. Neither do we desire to bring anyone to the yoke of bondage. But this is the very cause for which ye have come against us. Yea, and ye are angry with us because of our religion. But now ye behold that the Lord is with us, and ye behold that he has delivered you into our hands. And now I would that ye should understand that this is done unto us 
because of our religion and our faith in Christ. And now ye see that ye cannot destroy this our faith. Now ye see that this is the true faith of God. Yea, ye see that God will support and keep and preserve us so long as we are faithful unto him and unto our faith and our religion. And never will the Lord suffer that we shall be destroyed except we should fall into transgression and deny our faith. Now Moroni was ready to get down to business, and he left no doubt as to what his demands would be. And now, Zarahemna, I command you in the name of that all-powerful God who has strengthened our arms that we have gained power over you, by our faith, by our religion, and by our rites of worship, and by our church, and by the sacred support which we owe to our wives and our children, by that liberty which binds us to our lands and our country, yea, and also by the maintenance of the sacred word of God, to which we owe all our happiness, and by all that is most dear unto us. Yea, and this is not all. I command you by all the desires which ye have for life, that ye deliver up your weapons of war unto us, and we will seek not your blood, but we will spare your lives, if ye will go your way and come not again to war against us. And now, if ye do not this, behold, ye are in our hands, and I will command my men that they shall fall upon you and inflict the wounds of death in your bodies, that ye may become extinct. And then we will see who shall have power over this people, Yea, we will see who shall be brought into bondage. After Moroni had set forth the only basis on which he would allow an armistice, it is interesting what the Lamanite commander did. And now it came to pass that when Zarahemna had heard these sayings, he came forth and delivered up his sword and his scimitar and his bow into the hands of Moroni, and said unto him, Behold, here are our weapons of war. We will deliver them up unto you, but we will not suffer ourselves to take an oath unto you, which we know that we shall break, and also our children. But take our weapons of war, and suffer that we may depart into the wilderness. Otherwise we will retain our swords, and we will perish or conquer. Behold, we are not of your faith. We do not believe that it is God that has delivered us into your hands, and we believe that it is your cunning that has preserved you from our swords. Behold, it is your breastplates and your shields that have preserved you. So Zarahemna would surrender his weapons, but he would not give his oath never to come against the Nephites in the future. That was all Moroni needed to know. And now, when Zarahemna had made an end of speaking these words, Moroni returned the sword and the weapons of war which he had received unto Zarahemna, saying, Behold, we will end the conflict. Now I cannot recall the words which I have spoken. Therefore, as the Lord liveth, ye shall not depart, except ye depart with an oath that ye will not return again against us to war. Now as ye are in our hands, we will spill your blood upon the ground, or ye shall submit to the conditions which I have proposed. Now a rather amazing thing happened. 
it became apparent that Zarahemna was determined to murder Moroni. And now when Moroni had said these words, Zarahemna retained his sword, and he was angry with Moroni, and he rushed forward that he might slay Moroni. But as he raised his sword, behold, one of Moroni's soldiers smote it even to the earth, and it broke by the hilt, and he also smote Zarahemna that he took off his scalp, and it fell to the earth, and Zarahemna withdrew from before them into the midst of his soldiers. And it came to pass that the soldier who stood by, who smote off the scalp of Zarahemna, took up the scalp from off the ground by the hair, and laid it upon the point of his sword, and stretched it forth unto them, saying unto them with a loud voice, Even as this scalp has fallen to the earth, which is the scalp of your chief, so shall ye fall to the earth, except ye will deliver up your weapons of war, and depart with a covenant of peace. I wish we knew the name of this courageous soldier who made this speech. An artist's sketch of what this event must have looked like is on page 63 of Volume 3 of Treasures of the Book of Mormon. The heroic action of this young warrior had an amazing impact on many of the huge army of Lamanites. Now there were many when they heard these words and saw the scalp which was upon the sword that were struck with fear. And many came forth and threw down their weapons of war at the feet of Moroni and entered into a covenant of peace. And as many as entered into a covenant, they suffered to depart into the wilderness. But even though Zarahemna had been scalped, he must have bandaged up his head, and in a spirit of insane hatred roused his army to engage in what was literally a suicidal war. Now it came to pass that Zarahemna was exceeding wroth, and he did stir up the remainder of his soldiers to anger, to contend more powerfully against the Nephites. And now Moroni was angry because of the stubbornness of the Lamanites. Therefore he commanded his people that they should fall upon them and slay them. And it came to pass that they began to slay them. Yea, and the Lamanites did contend with their swords and their might. But behold, their naked skins and their bare heads were exposed to the sharp swords of the Nephites. Yea, behold, they were pierced and smitten, yea, and did fall exceedingly fast before the swords of the Nephites. And they began to be swept down, even as the soldier of Moroni had prophesied. It must have been a strange sight to see Zarahemna with his head all bandaged suddenly stop the fighting. Now Zarahemna, when he saw that they were all about to be destroyed, cried mightily unto Moroni, promising that he would covenant, and also his people with them, if they would spare the remainder of their lives, that they never would come to war again against them. And it came to pass that Moroni caused that the work of death should cease again among the people. And he took the weapons of war from the Lamanites. And after they had entered into a covenant with him of peace, they were suffered to depart into the wilderness. For Moroni it was a complete victory, but his heart ached because he had to slaughter so many of the Lamanites and suffer many casualties among his own people before the murderous Zarahemna and his naked warriors would take the oath of peace and finally depart after surrendering their arms. Now the number of their dead was not numbered because of the greatness of the number. 
Yea, the number of their dead was exceeding great, both on the Nephites and on the Lamanites. And it came to pass that they did cast their dead into the waters of Sidon, and they have gone forth and are buried in the depths of the sea. And the armies of the Nephites or of Moroni returned and came to their houses and their lands. And thus ended the eighteenth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. And thus ended the record of Alma, which was written upon the plates of Nephi. So the tragic year of 74 B.C. finally ended after this mammoth slaughter. And Mormon the historian says this was also the end of the writings which Alma had recorded on the large plates of Nephi. Alma 45 Now we commence the history made by Helaman, the eldest son of Alma. He felt the people were so grateful to have won the war of threatened annihilation by the Lamanites that the people engaged in a great thanksgiving to God with prayer and fasting. Behold, now it came to pass that the people of Nephi were exceedingly rejoiced, because the Lord had again delivered them out of the hands of their enemies. Therefore they gave thanks unto the Lord their God. Yea, and they did fast much and pray much, and they did worship God with exceeding great joy. This marks the beginning of the 19th year of the Judges, or 73 B.C. This was the year that Alma, the father of Helaman, ended his earthly career. In preparing to turn over the sacred Nephite records to Helaman, Alma asked his son and successor a series of questions. And it came to pass in the 19th year of the reign of the Judges over the people of Nephi that Alma came unto his son Helaman, and said unto him, Believest thou the words which I spake unto thee concerning those records which have been kept? And Helaman said unto him, Yea, I believe. And Alma said again, Believest thou in Jesus Christ, who shall come? And he said, Yea, I believe all the words which thou hast spoken. And Alma said unto him again, Will ye keep my commandments? And he said, Yea, I will keep thy commandments with all my heart. At this point Alma pronounced a blessing and a promise on his son. Then Alma said unto him, Blessed art thou, and the Lord shall prosper thee in this land. Now Alma announced that he wanted to share with Helaman a secret prophecy with a tragic conclusion. But behold, I have somewhat to prophesy unto thee. But what I prophesy unto thee ye shall not make known. Yea, what I prophesy unto thee shall not be made known, even until the prophecy is fulfilled. Therefore write the words which I shall say, and these are the words. Behold, I perceive that this very people, the Nephites, according to the spirit of revelation which is in me, in four hundred years from the time that Jesus Christ shall manifest himself unto them, shall dwindle in unbelief. Yea, and then shall they see wars and pestilences, yea, famines and bloodshed, even until the people of Nephi shall become extinct. What a shocking announcement this must have been to Helaman. 
Alma is talking about their own descendants, their own people, the Nephites. They are to cease to exist as a separate nation. Alma now proceeds to tell Helaman how this will come about. Yea, and this because they shall dwindle in unbelief and fall into the works of darkness and lasciviousness and all manner of iniquities. Yea, I say unto you, that because they shall sin against so great light and knowledge, yea, I say unto you, that from that day, even the fourth generation shall not all pass away before this great iniquity shall come. And when that great day cometh, behold, the time very soon cometh, that those who are now, or the seed of those who are now numbered among the people of Nephi, shall no more be numbered among the people of Nephi. But whosoever remaineth and is not destroyed in that great and dreadful day shall be numbered among the Lamanites, and shall become like unto them all, save it be a few who shall be called the disciples of the Lord. And them shall the Lamanites pursue even until they shall become extinct. And now because of iniquity this prophecy shall be fulfilled. Alma nevertheless wanted to pronounce a blessing on the earth and the righteous, as long as there are valiant disciples of God remaining on the earth. And now it came to pass that after Alma had said these things to Helaman, he blessed him and also his other sons. And he also blessed the earth for the righteous sake. And he said, Thus saith the Lord God, Cursed shall be the land, yea, this land, unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, unto destruction, which do wickedly, when they are fully ripe. And as I have said, so shall it be. For this is the cursing and the blessing of God upon the land. For the Lord cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. And now when Alma had said these words, he blessed the church, Yea, all those who should stand fast in the faith from that time henceforth. We assume that this final conversation between Alma and his sons took place at Zarahemla, where the headquarters of the church was located. Alma then prepared to make his journey toward Melech, when a fantastic event transpired. And when Alma had done this, he departed out of the land of Zarahemla, as if to go into the land of Melech. And it came to pass that he was never heard of more. As to his death or burial, we know not of. In this verse, we have Helaman's reaction to the disappearance of his father. It seems strange that Helaman was never told what to expect when his father left him and departed toward Melech. However, left to himself, Helaman surmised what could have happened to his father based on what was known to have happened to the prophet Moses. Behold, this we know, that he was a righteous man. And the saying went abroad in the church that he was taken up by the Spirit, or buried by the hand of the Lord, even as Moses. But behold, the Scriptures saith, The Lord took Moses unto himself. And we suppose that he has also received Alma in the Spirit unto himself. Therefore, for this cause, we know nothing concerning his death and burial. It is apparent that the churches throughout the land were somewhat in disarray. As Helaman set out to labor diligently to strengthen the churches, 
It is interesting that he took both Shiblon and the repentant Corianton with him. And now it came to pass in the commencement of the nineteenth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, that Helaman went forth among the people to declare the word unto them. For behold, because of their wars with the Lamanites and the many little dissensions and disturbances which had been among the people, it became expedient that the word of God should be declared among them, yea, and that a regulation should be made throughout the church. Therefore Helaman and his brethren went forth to establish the church again in all the land, yea, in every city throughout all the land which was possessed by the people of Nephi. And it came to pass that they did appoint priests and teachers throughout all the land over all the churches. Historically, the curse of the Nephites always turned out to be their inability to deal with prosperity. Through the blessings of God and the brilliant leadership of Captain Moroni, this people had been spared the total ravages of an extended war, and they had gone into prayers of thanksgiving for this blessing. Nevertheless, as the people settled back down without any further threat of annihilation by the Lamanites, they soon began to prosper, and this turned out to be one of the worst things that could have happened to them. And now it came to pass that after Helaman and his brethren had appointed priests and teachers over the churches, that there arose a dissension among them, and they would not give heed to the words of Helaman and his brethren, but they grew proud, being lifted up in their hearts because of their exceeding great riches. Therefore they grew rich in their own eyes and would not give heed to their words to walk uprightly before God. Alma chapter 46 The spiritual instability of the Nephites is reflected in the fact that the whole church split in two shortly after Alma disappeared. Helaman and his two brothers tried to rally the people in righteousness, but the resentment of those who rejected their message immediately boiled over into open rebellion. And it was not merely because the rebels wanted to reject the message. They wanted to murder the messengers. Alma's three sons were doing missionary work at the risk of their lives. And it came to pass that as many as would not hearken to the words of Helaman and his brethren were gathered together against their brethren. And now behold, they were exceeding wroth, insomuch that they were determined to slay them. Satan never has trouble finding someone with secret ambitions who is willing to launch a civil war to gain power. Amalekiah turned out to be Satan's newest recruit. He wanted to be king. Now the leader of those who were wroth against their brethren was a large and a strong man, and his name was Amalekiah. And Amalekiah was desirous to be a king. And those people who were wroth were also desirous that he should be their king. And they were the greater part of them, the lower judges of the land, and they were seeking for power. Amalekiah knew how to stir up the people to support him. It was by bribery and political promises. He even seduced many members of the church to shift over and sympathize with him. And they had been led by the flatteries of Amalekiah that if they would support him and establish him to be their king, that he would make them rulers over the people. 
Thus they were led away by Amalickiah to dissensions, notwithstanding the preaching of Helaman and his brethren, yea, notwithstanding their exceeding great care over the church, for they were high priests over the church, and there were many in the church who believed in the flattering words of Amalickiah. Therefore they dissented even from the church, and thus were the affairs of the people of Nephi exceedingly precarious and dangerous, notwithstanding their great victory which they had had over the Lamanites, and their great rejoicings which they had had, because of their deliverance by the hand of the Lord. Thus we see how quick the children of men do forget the Lord their God. Yea, how quick to do iniquity and to be led away by the evil one. Yea, and we also see the great wickedness one very wicked man can cause to take place among the children of men. Yea, we see that Amalickiah, because he was a man of cunning device, and a man of many flattering words, that he led away the hearts of many people to do wickedly, yea, and to seek to destroy the church of God, and to destroy the foundation of liberty, which God had granted unto them, or which blessing God had sent upon the face of the land, for the righteous sake. All of these developments were abhorrent to Moroni, the young commander of the military forces of the Nephites. He saw exactly what Amalickiah wanted to achieve with the flattery, bribery, and deceit. So it says, And now it came to pass that when Moroni, who was the chief commander of the armies of the Nephites, had heard of these dissensions, he was angry with Amalickiah. And it came to pass that he rent his coat, and he took a piece thereof and wrote upon it, In memory of our God, our religion, and freedom, and our peace, our wives, and our children. And he fastened it upon the end of a pole, and he fastened on his headplate, and his breastplate, and his shields, and girded on his armor about his loins. And he took the pole, which had on the end thereof his rent coat, and he called it the title of liberty. And he bowed himself to the earth, and he prayed mightily unto his God for the blessings of liberty to rest upon his brethren, so long as there should a band of Christians remain to possess the land. For thus were all the true believers of Christ who belonged to the church of God called by those who did not belong to the church. And those who did belong to the church were faithful. Yea, all those who were true believers in Christ took upon them gladly the name of Christ, or Christians as they were called, because of their belief in Christ who should come. It is interesting that Moroni was not only a good military leader, but he was also a very spiritual man. This was true of George Washington. The combination of military ingenuity with spiritual qualities is a rare but marvelous combination in a leader of any age. And therefore at this time, Moroni prayed that the cause of the Christians and the freedom of the land might be favored. And it came to pass that when he had poured out his soul to God, he named all the land which was south of the land desolation, yea, and in fine, all the land, both on the north and on the south, a chosen land, and the land of liberty. And he said, Surely God shall not suffer that we who are despised because we take upon us the name of Christ shall be trodden down and destroyed 
until we bring it upon us by our own transgressions. Now Moroni had finished his petition to the Lord and had committed himself to defend the land of liberty which the Lord had designated as a chosen land. Moroni was ready for action. And when Moroni had said these words, he went forth among the people, waving the rent part of his garment in the air, that all might see the writing which he had written upon the rent part, and crying with a loud voice, saying, Behold, whosoever will maintain this title upon the land, let them come forth in the strength of the Lord, and enter into a covenant that they will maintain their rights and their religion, that the Lord God may bless them. And it came to pass that when Moroni had proclaimed these words, behold, the people came running together with their armor girded about their loins, rending their garments in token or as a covenant that they would not forsake the Lord their God. Or in other words, if they should transgress the commandments of God or fall into transgression and be ashamed to take upon them the name of Christ, the Lord should rend them even as they had rent their garments. This covenant was the most sacred commitment the followers of Moroni could make. They were solemnly putting their lives on the line to support Moroni and the title of liberty. Now this was the covenant which they made, and they cast their garments at the feet of Moroni, saying, We covenant with our God that we shall be destroyed even as our brethren in the land northward if we shall fall into transgression. Yea, he may cast us at the feet of our enemies, even as we have cast our garments at thy feet to be trodden underfoot, if we shall fall into transgression. Moroni said unto them, Behold, we are a remnant of the seed of Jacob. Yea, we are a remnant of the seed of Joseph, whose coat was rent by his brethren into many pieces. Yea, and now behold, let us remember to keep the commandments of God, for our garments shall be rent by our brethren, and we be cast into prison, or be sold, or be slain. Moroni was proud of the fact that they were a remnant of the prophet Joseph who was sold into Egypt. He therefore decided to quote the words of Joseph's father, the prophet Jacob, to give special spiritual significance to the campaign they were about to undertake, he relates the parable of the remnant of Joseph's coat of many colors. Yea, let us preserve our liberty as a remnant of Joseph. Yea, let us remember the words of Jacob before his death. For behold, he saw that a part of the remnant of the coat of Joseph was preserved and had not decayed. And he said, even as this remnant of garment of my son hath been preserved, so shall a remnant of the seed of my son be preserved by the hand of God, and be taken unto himself, while the remainder of the seed of Joseph shall perish even as the remnant of his garment. Now behold, this giveth my soul sorrow. Nevertheless my soul hath joy in my son because of that part of his seed which shall be taken unto God. Now behold, this was the language of Jacob. And now who knoweth but what the remnant of the seed of Joseph, which shall perish as his garment, are those who have dissented from us? Yea, and even it shall be ourselves, if we do not stand fast in the faith of Christ.
Moroni's next maneuver was a brilliant campaign to gather all of the loyal members of the church and those who had pledged themselves to support the title of liberty and rally together in a great show of strength. And now it came to pass that when Moroni had said these words, he went forth, and also sent forth in all the parts of the land where there were dissensions, and gathered together all the people who were desirous to maintain their liberty, to stand against Amalekiah and those who had dissented, who were called Amalekiahites. When Amalekiah saw the strength of Moroni's forces, it terrified him. He therefore commanded his rebel army to march toward the land of Nephi, which was the headquarters of the Lamanites. And it came to pass that when Amalekiah saw that the people of Moroni were more numerous than the Amalekiahites, and he also saw that his people were doubtful concerning the justice of the cause in which they had undertaken, therefore fearing that he should not gain the point, he took those of his people who would and departed into the land of Nephi. This young captain Moroni was brilliant. He saw exactly what Amalekiah intended to do. By joining with the Lamanites, he could stir them up to join in making war against the Nephites. He therefore determined to intercept Amalekiah and his rebel army before they reached the Lamanites in the land of Nephi. Now Moroni thought it was not expedient that the Lamanites should have any more strength. Therefore he thought to cut off the people of Amalekiah, or to take them and bring them back, and put Amalekiah to death. Yea, for he knew that he would stir up the Lamanites to anger against them, and cause them to come to battle against them. And this he knew that Amalekiah would do, that he might obtain his purposes. Therefore Moroni thought it was expedient that he should take his armies, who had gathered themselves together, and armed themselves, and entered into a covenant to keep the peace. And it came to pass that he took his army and marched out into the wilderness to cut off the course of Amalekiah in the wilderness. And it came to pass that he did according to his desires and marched forth into the wilderness and headed the armies of Amalekiah. Amalekiah saw that Moroni had outmaneuvered him, and therefore he decided to risk a desperate flight toward the south with a band of his closest followers. And it came to pass that Amalekiah fled with a small number of his men, and the remainder were delivered up into the hands of Moroni and were taken back into the land of Zarahemla. As Moroni returned with his prisoners to Zarahemla, he had a monumental decision to make. Here was a large segment of Amalekiah's supporters who had attempted to commit a treasonable war against their fellow Nephites. In the next few verses, we learn how Moroni decided to dispose of these rebels. Now Moroni, being a man who was appointed by the chief judges and the voice of the people, therefore he had power according to his will with the armies of the Nephites to establish and to exercise authority over them. And it came to pass that whomsoever of the Amalekiahites that would not enter into a covenant to support the cause of freedom, that they might maintain a free government, he caused to be put to death. And there were but few who denied the covenant of freedom. 
It is interesting that when these rebels saw how determined Moroni was to stamp out this rebellion, their hearts melted within them, and it says only a few continued to refuse to ratify the covenant of freedom. But to Moroni, treason is treason. Here were Nephites who were willing to kill Nephite men, women, and children to gain power and support for Amalickiah. Even when given an opportunity to save their lives by taking the covenant of peace, they refused. So, true to his word, Moroni had them executed. And now two things happened to achieve a new period of peace and prosperity among the people. Moroni established political stability, while Helaman and his brethren struggled to establish spiritual stability. And it came to pass also that he caused the title of liberty to be hoisted upon every tower which was in all the land, which was possessed by the Nephites. And thus Moroni planted the standard of liberty among the Nephites. And they began to have peace again in the land, and thus they did maintain peace in the land, until nearly the end of the nineteenth year of the reign of the judges. And Helaman and the high priests did also maintain order in the church, Yea, even for the space of four years did they have much peace and rejoicing in the church. And it came to pass that there were many who died, firmly believing that their souls were redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus they went out of the world rejoicing. Now we come to the only passage in the Book of Mormon where it refers to an epidemic of disease or fevers and it refers to the herbs and roots that were found to bring about a cure. And there were some who died with fevers, which at some seasons of the year were very frequent in the land, but not so much so with fevers, because of the excellent qualities of the many plants and roots which God had prepared to remove the cause of diseases, to which men were subject by the nature of the climate. So here is the way this chapter is concluded. But there were many who died with old age, and those who died in the faith of Christ are happy in him, as we must need suppose. Alma chapter 47. When Amalickiah had convinced the Lamanite king to join him in an attack on the Nephites, the Lamanites themselves were not certain they wanted to risk it. Here is the way the Lamanites divided into two factions. Now we will return in our record to Amalickiah and those who had fled with him into the wilderness. For behold, he had taken those who went with him and went up in the land of Nephi among the Lamanites and did stir up the Lamanites to anger against the people of Nephi, insomuch that the king of the Lamanites sent a proclamation throughout all his land among all his people that they should gather themselves together again to go to battle against the Nephites. And it came to pass that when the proclamation had gone forth among them, they were exceedingly afraid. Yea, they feared to displease the king, and they also feared to go to battle against the Nephites, lest they should lose their lives. And it came to pass that they would not, or the more part of them, would not obey the commandments of the king. Now the Lamanite king made a decision which turned out to be the biggest mistake of his life. And now it came to pass that the king was wroth because of their disobedience. Therefore he gave Amalickiah the command of that part of his army which was obedient unto his commands. 
and commanded him that he should go forth and compel them to arms. Now behold, this was the desire of Amalickiah, for he being a very subtle man to do evil. Therefore he laid the plan in his heart to dethrone the king of the Lamanites. And now he had got the command of those parts of the Lamanites who were in favor of the king, and he sought to gain favor of those who were not obedient. Therefore he went forward to the place which was called Oneida, for thither had all the Lamanites fled. For they discovered the army coming, and supposing that they were coming to destroy them, therefore they fled to Oneida to the place of arms. Once Amalekiah gained control of the army loyal to the king, his next strategy was to somehow get the dissident army under his control. How he achieved it was almost beyond imagination. Satan himself could not have conceived of a more diabolical plot. In a nutshell, here is what he planned to do. And they had appointed a man to be a king and a leader over them, being fixed in their minds with a determined resolution that they would not be subjected to go against the Nephites. And it came to pass that they had gathered themselves together upon the top of the mount which was called Antipas, in preparation to battle. Now it was not Amalickiah's intention to give them battle according to the commandments of the king. But behold, it was his intention to gain favor with the armies of the Lamanites, that he might place himself at their head, and dethrone the king, and take possession of the kingdom. And behold, it came to pass that he caused his army to pitch their tents in the valley which was near the Mount Antipas. And it came to pass that when it was night, he sent a secret embassy into the Mount Antipas, desiring that the leader of those who were upon the mount whose name was Lehanti, that he should come down to the foot of the mount, for he desired to speak with him. And it came to pass that when Lehanti received the message, he durst not go down to the foot of the mount. And it came to pass that Amalickiah sent again the second time, desiring him to come down. And it came to pass that Lehanti would not, and he sent again the third time. And it came to pass that when Amalickiah found that he could not get Lehanti to come down off from the mount, he went up into the mount nearly to Lehanti's camp. And he sent again the fourth time his message unto Lehanti, desiring that he would come down and that he would bring his guards with him. The next maneuver by Amalickiah was to surrender the king's army into the hands of Lehanti. And it came to pass that when Lehanti had come down with his guards to Amalickiah, that Amalickiah desired him to come down with his army in the night time, and surround those men in their camps over whom the king had given him command, and that he would deliver them up into Lehanti's hands, if he would make him, Amalickiah, a second leader over the whole army. And it came to pass that Lehanti came down with his men and surrounded the men of Amalickiah, so that before they awoke at the dawn of day, they were surrounded by the armies of Lehanti. And it came to pass that when they saw that they were surrounded, they pled with Amalickiah that he would suffer them to fall in with their brethren, that they might not be destroyed. Now this was the very thing which Amalickiah desired. Amalickiah now arranged for Lehanti to be murdered, so the command of the entire army would fall into his hands. 
And it came to pass that he delivered his men contrary to the commands of the king. Now this was the thing which Amalickiah desired, that he might accomplish his designs in dethroning the king. Now it was the custom among the Lamanites, if their chief leader was killed, to appoint the second leader to be their chief leader. And it came to pass that Amalickiah caused that one of his servants should administer poison by degrees to Lehontai, that he died. Now when Lehontai was dead, the Lamanites appointed Amalickiah to be their leader and their chief commander. And it came to pass that Amalickiah marched with his armies, for he had gained his desires, to the land of Nephi, to the city of Nephi, which was the chief city. Now Amalickiah plotted one more murder to take over the Lamanite kingdom. And the king came out to meet him with his guards, for he supposed that Amalickiah had fulfilled his commands, and that Amalickiah had gathered together so great an army to go against the Nephites to battle. But behold, as the king came out to meet him, Amalickiah caused that his servants should go forth to meet the king. And they went and bowed themselves before the king, as if to reverence him because of his greatness. And it came to pass that the king put forth his hand to raise them, as was the custom with the Lamanites, as a token of peace, which custom they had taken from the Nephites. And it came to pass that when he had raised the first from the ground, behold, he stabbed the king to the heart, and he fell to the earth. Now the servants of the king fled, and the servants of Amalickiah raised a cry, saying, Behold! The servants of the king have stabbed him to the heart, and he has fallen, and they have fled. Behold, come and see. Amalickiah's strategy allowed him to seize the capital city of Nephi. And it came to pass that Amalickiah commanded that his army should march forth and see what had happened to the king. And when they had come to the spot and found the king lying in his gore, Amalickiah pretended to be wroth and said, Whosoever loved the king, let him go forth and pursue his servants that they may be slain. And it came to pass that all they who loved the king, when they heard these words, came forth and pursued after the servants of the king. Now when the servants of the king saw an army pursuing after them, they were frightened again and fled into the wilderness and came over into the land of Zarahemla and joined the people of Ammon. And the army which pursued after them returned, having pursued after them in vain. And thus Amalickiah, by his fraud, gained the hearts of the people. The only task remaining for Amalickiah was to somehow convince the queen that Amalickiah had been a noble hero instead of her husband's assassin. And it came to pass on the morrow he entered the city Nephi with his armies and took possession of the city. And now it came to pass that the queen, when she had heard that the king was slain, for Amalickiah had sent an embassy to the queen informing her that the king had been slain by his servants, that he had pursued them with his army, but it was in vain, and they had made their escape. Therefore when the queen had received this message, she sent unto Amalickiah, desiring him that he would spare the people of the city. And she also desired him that he should come in unto her. And she also desired him that he should bring witnesses with him 
to testify concerning the death of the king. Not even Hollywood could have ended this fantastic story more dramatically than the way Amalekiah became king of the entire Lamanite nation, and even induced the queen to accept his romantic advances, so she became the wife of Amalekiah. And it came to pass that Amalekiah took the same servant that slew the king, and all them who were with him, and went in unto the queen, unto the place where she sat. And they all testified unto her that the king was slain by his own servants. And they said also, They have fled. Does not this testify against them? And thus they satisfied the queen concerning the death of the king. And it came to pass that Amalickiah sought the favor of the queen, and took her unto him to wife. And thus by his fraud and by the assistance of his cunning servants, he obtained the kingdom. Yea, he was acknowledged king throughout all the land among all the people of the Lamanites, who were composed of the Lamanites, and the Lemuelites, and the Ishmaelites, and all the dissenters of the Nephites, from the reign of Nephi down to the present time. It is amazing how many apostate dissenters had now joined the Lamanites and become the most depraved and degenerate segment of the entire population. Now these dissenters, having the same instruction and the same information of the Nephites, yea, having been instructed in the same knowledge of the Lord, nevertheless it is strange to relate, not long after their dissensions they became more hardened and impenitent, and more wild, wicked, and ferocious than the Lamanites, drinking in with the traditions of the Lamanites, giving way to indolence, and all manner of lasciviousness, yea, entirely forgetting the Lord their God. Alma chapter 48 By 72 B.C. Amalickiah aspired to fulfill that ambition of his entire life. And now it came to pass that as soon as Amalickiah had obtained the kingdom, he began to inspire the hearts of the Lamanites against the people of Nephi. Yea, he did appoint men to speak unto the Lamanites from their towers against the Nephites. And thus he did inspire their hearts against the Nephites, insomuch that in the latter end of the nineteenth year of the reign of the judges, he having accomplished his designs thus far, Yea, having been made king over the Lamanites, he sought also to reign over all the land. Yea, and all the people who were in the land, the Nephites as well as the Lamanites. After his deceit, murder, and diabolical stratagems had made him king of all the Lamanites as well as the Nephite dissenters, Amalickiah felt confident he could now conquer the Nephites. Therefore he had accomplished his design, for he had hardened the hearts of the Lamanites and blinded their minds, and stirred them up to anger, insomuch that he had gathered together a numerous host to go to battle against the Nephites. For he was determined, because of the greatness of the number of his people, to overpower the Nephites and to bring them into bondage. And thus he did appoint chief captains of the Zoramites they being the most acquainted with the strength of the Nephites and their places of resort and the weakest parts of their cities. Therefore he appointed them to be chief captains over his armies. And it came to pass that they took their camp, 
and moved forth toward the land of Zarahemla in the wilderness. During all this time, Captain Moroni had been observing developments under the conniving schemes of Amalekiah, and he had been preparing the Nephites for the pending conflict. Now it came to pass that while Amalekiah had thus been obtaining power by fraud and deceit, Moroni, on the other hand, had been preparing the minds of the people to be faithful unto the Lord their God. Yea, he had been strengthening the armies of the Nephites, and erecting small forts, or places of resort, throwing up banks of earth round about to enclose his armies, and also building walls of stone to encircle them about, round about their cities and the borders of their lands, yea, all round about the land. And in their weakest fortifications he did place the greater number of men, and thus he did fortify and strengthen the land which was possessed by the Nephites. And thus he was preparing to support their liberty, their lands, their wives, and their children, and their peace, and that they might live unto the Lord their God, and that they might maintain that which was called by their enemies the cause of Christians. What kind of a man was Moroni? Here is the way the scripture describes him. And Moroni was a strong and a mighty man. He was a man of a perfect understanding, yea, a man that did not delight in bloodshed, a man whose soul did joy in the liberty and the freedom of his country, and his brethren from bondage and slavery, yea, a man whose heart did swell with thanksgiving to his God for the many privileges and blessings which he bestowed upon his people, a man who did labor exceedingly for the welfare and safety of his people. Yea, and he was a man who was firm in the faith of Christ, and he had sworn with an oath to defend his people, his rights, and his country, and his religion, even to the loss of his blood. The Nephite people had caught the spirit of Moroni. Here is the way they felt about the terrible conflict which was soon to descend upon them. Now the Nephites were taught to defend themselves against their enemies even to the shedding of blood if it were necessary. Yea, and they were also taught never to give an offense. Yea, and never to raise the sword, except it were against an enemy, except it were to preserve their lives. And this was their faith, that by so doing God would prosper them in the land. Or in other words, if they were faithful in keeping the commandments of God, that he would prosper them in the land. Yea, warn them to flee or to prepare for war according to their danger, and also that God would make it known unto them whither they should go to defend themselves against their enemies, and by so doing the Lord would deliver them. And this was the faith of Moroni, and his heart did glory in it, not in the shedding of blood, but in doing good, in preserving his people, yea, in keeping the commandments of God, yea, and resisting iniquity. As the day of the battle drew near, the Nephites contemplated the caliber of their military and spiritual leaders. Here is the way the scripture evaluates Moroni as well as Helaman and his brethren. Yea, verily, verily, I say unto you, if all men had been and were and ever would be like unto Moroni, behold, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. Yea, the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men.
behold, he was a man like unto Ammon, the son of Mosiah. Yea, and even the other sons of Mosiah. Yea, and also Alma and his sons, for they were all men of God. Now behold, Helaman and his brethren were no less serviceable unto the people than was Moroni. For they did preach the word of God, and they did baptize unto repentance all men whosoever would hearken unto their words. And thus they went forth, and the people did humble themselves because of their words, insomuch that they were highly favored of the Lord. And thus they were free from wars and contentions among themselves, yea, even for the space of four years. These next few verses set forth the philosophy of the Nephites concerning the war which they knew could not be avoided. But as I have said in the latter end of the nineteenth year, yea, notwithstanding their peace amongst themselves, they were compelled reluctantly to contend with their brethren the Lamanites. Yea, and in fine, their wars never did cease for the space of many years with the Lamanites, notwithstanding their much reluctance. Now they were sorry to take up arms against the Lamanites because they did not delight in the shedding of blood. Yea, and this was not all. They were sorry to be the means of sending so many of their brethren out of this world into an eternal world unprepared to meet their God. Nevertheless, they could not suffer to lay down their lives that their wives and their children should be massacred by the barbarous cruelty of those who were once their brethren. Yea, and had dissented from their church, and had left them, and had gone to destroy them by joining the Lamanites. Yea, they could not bear that their brethren should rejoice over the blood of the Nephites so long as there were any who should keep the commandments of God. For the promise of the Lord was, if they should keep his commandments, they should prosper in the land. Alma chapter 49 and now it came to pass in the eleventh month of the nineteenth year, on the tenth day of the month, the armies of the Lamanites were seen approaching towards the land of Ammonihah. It was a tragic day for the Nephites when they saw the hordes of Lamanites pouring over the horizon. But the first attack was not against Zarahemla or the east side of Sidon River, where many of the wars had been fought in the past. Instead, the Lamanites chose to attack over on the west side where they had completely demolished the city of Ammonihah several years earlier. This city had very bitter memories for many Nephites. It was where Alma and Amulek had been tortured and finally felt compelled to appeal to the Lord. As a result, the prison had collapsed, and Alma and Amulek were the only ones who come out of the wreckage alive. Later, this was the city which the Lamanites had totally destroyed to avenge themselves for the thousands of Lamanites who had been converted by Ammon and his brethren. In spite of this, however, Captain Moroni had almost instinctively felt that this is where the Lamanites would attack again. Therefore, he had a tremendous surprise for this latest raiding party of Lamanites as they descended on Ammonihah. And behold, the city had been rebuilt, and Moroni had stationed an army by the borders of the city and they had cast up dirt around about to shield them from the arrows and the stones of the Lamanites. For behold, they fought with stones and with arrows. Behold, I said that the city of Ammonihah had been rebuilt. I say unto you, yea, that it was in part rebuilt. And because the Lamanites had destroyed it once because of the iniquity of the people, 
they supposed that it would again become an easy prey for them. But behold, how great was their disappointment! For behold, the Nephites had dug up a ridge of earth round about them, which was so high that the Lamanites could not cast their stones and their arrows at them that they might take effect. Neither could they come upon them, save it was by their place of entrance. Now at this time the chief captains of the Lamanites were astonished exceedingly because of the wisdom of the Nephites in preparing their places of security. Now the leaders of the Lamanites had supposed, because of the greatness of their numbers, yea, they supposed that they should be privileged to come upon them as they had hitherto done. Yea, and they had also prepared themselves with shields and with breastplates, and they had also prepared themselves with garments of skins, yea, very thick garments, to cover their nakedness. It is significant that the Lamanites had learned not to come up against the Nephites like a herd of naked savages. This time they were protected by armor and shields. They had also planned to quickly overpower the city and go on to other conquests. And thus being prepared, they supposed that they should easily overpower and subject their brethren to the yoke of bondage, or slay and massacre them according to their pleasure. But behold, to their uttermost astonishment, they were prepared for them in a manner which never had been known among the children of Lehi. Now they were prepared for the Lamanites to battle after the manner of the instructions of Moroni. From this point on, the scriptural record is going to give glowing credit to Moroni for his ingenuity in defending the various Nephite cities. Since Mormon, the historian, was such an admirer of Moroni, and even named his son after the brilliant leader, we observe that he devotes a lot of space to the tactics of Moroni and the military stratagems which he used. And it came to pass that the Lamanites, or the Amalekiahites, were exceedingly astonished at their manner of preparation for war. Now if King Amalekiah had come down out of the land of Nephi at the head of his army, perhaps he would have caused the Lamanites to have attacked the Nephites at the city of Ammonihah. For behold, he did care not for the blood of his people. But behold, Amalickiah did not come down himself to battle. And behold, his chief captains durst not attack the Nephites at the city of Ammonihah. For Moroni had altered the management of affairs among the Nephites, insomuch that the Lamanites were disappointed in their places of retreat and they could not come upon them. It is interesting that Amalickiah did not even bother to join the Lamanite army in this northern adventure against the Nephites. It is interesting that the Lamanite military leaders thought that Amalickiah would have ordered an attack on Ammonihah, because even though it was obvious that such an attack would involve a tremendous loss of life among the Lamanites, the Lamanite leaders knew that the massive loss of life meant nothing to Amalickiah. Therefore they retreated into the wilderness and took their camp and marched towards the land of Noah, supposing that to be the next best place for them to come against the Nephites. For they knew not that Moroni had fortified or had built forts of security for every city in all the land round about. Therefore they marched forward to the land of Noah with a firm determination. Yea, their chief captains came forward and took an oath that they would destroy the people of that city. But behold, to their astonishment, the city of Noah, which had hitherto been a weak place, 
had now by the means of Moroni become strong, yea, even to exceed the strength of the city Ammonihah. It is obvious at this point that Moroni had worked the Nephites day and night during the last couple of years to fortify many cities that were vulnerable to a Lamanite attack. As a result, the Lamanite commanders had one surprise after another. And now behold, this was wisdom in Moroni, for he had supposed that they would be frightened at the city Ammonihah, and as the city of Noah had hitherto been the weakest part of the land. Therefore, they would march thither to battle, and thus it was according to his desires. And behold, Moroni had appointed Lehi to be chief captain over the men of that city. And it was that same Lehi who fought with the Lamanites in the valley on the east of the river Sidon. Now behold, it came to pass that when the Lamanites had found that Lehi commanded the city, they were again disappointed, for they feared Lehi exceedingly. Nevertheless, their chief captains had sworn with an oath to attack the city. Therefore they brought up their armies. It is obvious that Lehi, the Nephite general, had a great reputation among the Lamanites. And when they found out that he was in charge of the defense of the city of Noah, they would like to have retreated and found another place to attack. However, they had felt so desperate to be able to report back to Amalickiah some activity of their military adventure that would please him that they took an oath to attack the city of Noah regardless of what they found there. Of course, it was a great shock to them to find the famous commander Lehi in charge, but they determined to go ahead and attack anyway. Now behold, the Lamanites could not get into their forts of security by any other way save by the entrance, because of the highness of the bank which had been thrown up, and the depth of the ditch which had been dug round about, save it were by the entrance. And thus were the Nephites prepared to destroy all such as should attempt to climb up to enter the fort by any other way by casting over stones and arrows at them. Thus they were prepared. Yea, a body of their strongest men, with their swords and their slings to smite down all who should attempt to come into their place of security by the place of entrance. And thus were they prepared to defend themselves against the Lamanites. Obviously Moroni's strategy was to make it impossible to attack any of the major Nephite cities except by an assault on the main entrance. But even the main entrance was a trap and Moroni had told Lehi and the commanders of the major cities to drop stones down on the heads of any who tried to attack the entrance to the city. And it came to pass that the captains of the Lamanites brought up their armies before the place of entrance and began to contend with the Nephites to get into their place of security. But behold, they were driven back from time to time insomuch that they were slain with an immense slaughter. Now when they found that they could not obtain power over the Nephites by the pass, they began to dig down their banks of earth that they might obtain a pass to their armies, that they might have an equal chance to fight. But behold, in these attempts they were swept off by the stones and arrows which were thrown at them. And instead of filling up their ditches by pulling down the banks of earth, they were filled up in a measure with their dead and wounded bodies. When the Lamanites suffered great losses trying to take the entrance to the city of Noah, they then tried to shovel down the high dirt barricade 
so they could somehow gain an entrance over the walls. This also failed. Thus the Nephites had all power over their enemies, and thus the Lamanites did attempt to destroy the Nephites until their chief captains were all slain. Yea, and more than a thousand of the Lamanites were slain, while on the other hand there was not a single soul of the Nephites which was slain. There were about fifty who were wounded, who had been exposed to the arrows of the Lamanites through the pass, but they were shielded by their shields and their breastplates and their headplates, insomuch that their wounds were upon their legs, many of which were very severe. Of course the desperate Lamanite leaders urged their troops forward as long as any leaders were alive. But it wasn't long before they were all dead, and this left the survivors to make up their minds to abandon this tragic campaign. And it came to pass that when the Lamanites saw that their chief captains were all slain, they fled into the wilderness. And it came to pass that they returned to the land of Nephi to inform their king Amalickiah, who was a Nephite by birth, concerning their great loss. And it came to pass that he was exceedingly angry with his people, because he had not obtained his desire over the Nephites. He had not subjected them to the yoke of bondage. Yea, he was exceedingly wroth, and he did curse God and also Moroni, swearing with an oath that he would drink his blood. And this because Moroni had kept the commandments of God in preparing for the safety of his people. When the defeated Lamanites went limping back to Nephi and reported to Amalickiah that they had not only been defeated, but that their commanders had all been killed, the reaction of Amalickiah was predictable. He not only vented his outrage on the Lamanite soldiers, but he cursed God and swore with an oath that some day he would kill Moroni and drink his blood. And it came to pass that on the other hand, the people of Nephi did thank the Lord their God because of his matchless power in delivering them from the hands of their enemies. And thus ended the nineteenth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. Yea, and there was continual peace among them, and exceeding great prosperity in the church because of their heed and diligence which they gave unto the word of God, which was declared unto them by Helaman and Shiblon and Corianton, and Ammon, and his brethren, yea, and by all those who had been ordained by the holy order of God, being baptized unto repentance, and sent forth to preach among the people. Meanwhile the Nephites were thankful to God for their great leaders and the blessings of God in saving them from what could have been a series of military massacres. Once the people were sure that the Lamanites had been discouraged from attacking again in the near future, they settled down to build up a prosperous society and listened to Helaman and his brethren as they undertook to strengthen the spiritual stability of the church. It is interesting that Corianton was faithfully laboring right along with Helaman and Shiblon. Alma chapter 50 Apparently, Captain Moroni was constantly haunted by the prospect of a huge Lamanite invasion of the land of Zarahemla by a horde of Lamanites and apostate Nephites. It is apparent that his experience with the horrors of war was driving him to undertake the most comprehensive fortification program in the history of the Nephites.
And now it came to pass that Moroni did not stop making preparations for war, or to defend his people against the Lamanites. For he caused that his army should commence in the commencement of the twentieth year of the reign of the judges, that they should commence in digging up heaps of earth round about all the cities, throughout all the land which was possessed by the Nephites. And upon the top of these ridges of earth he caused that there should be timbers, yea, works of timbers built up to the height of a man, round about the cities. And he caused that upon those works of timbers there should be a frame of pickets built upon the timbers round about, and they were strong and high. A representation of the types of fortifications which Moroni was building around every Nephite city may be seen on page 68 of volume 3 of the Treasures of the Book of Mormon. Note particularly the manner in which towers were structured from which stones could be cast down on any who attempted to attack these strongholds. And he caused towers to be erected that overlooked those works of pickets. And he caused places of security to be built upon those towers, that the stones and the arrows of the Lamanites could not hurt them. And they were prepared that they could cast stones from the top thereof, according to their pleasure and their strength, and slay him who should attempt to approach near the walls of the city. Thus Moroni did prepare strongholds against the coming of their enemies, round about every city in all the land. It is amazing how comprehensive the national defense program of the Nephites turned out to be. Apparently every community was to be made into a military stronghold. And it came to pass that Moroni caused that his army should go forth into the east wilderness. Yea, and they went forth and drove all the Lamanites who were in the east wilderness into their own lands, which were south of the land of Zarahemla. And the land of Nephi did run in a straight course from the east sea to the west. And it came to pass that when Moroni had driven all the Lamanites out of the east wilderness, which was north of the lands of their own possessions, he caused that the inhabitants who were in the land of Zarahemla and in the land round about should go forth into the east wilderness, even to the borders by the seashore, and possess the land. It is apparent that the Lamanites had been gradually encroaching upon Nephi territory by moving up from Nephi and building Lamanite settlements on the wilderness bordering the eastern seashore. As these settlements crept northward, they became a threat to the southeast region belonging to the Nephites. Moroni therefore moved his armies into this region and drove all of the Lamanites back down into the land of Nephi. He then had Nephites occupy all of the evacuated territory. Verse 8 contains an important geographical note. It says the land of Nephi extended in a straight line from the sea east to the sea west, which would be the place of Lehi's first landing. This is the first indication of the reason why Nephi did not proceed any further east when he settled Nephi. Apparently he had reached the vicinity of the East Sea. And he also placed armies on the south, in the borders of their possessions, and caused them to erect fortifications that they might secure their armies and their people from the hands of their enemies. And thus he cut off all the strongholds of the Lamanites in the East Wilderness. Yea, and also on the west, fortifying the line between the Nephites and the Lamanites, between the land of Zarahemla and the land of Nephi, from the west sea running by the head of the river Sidon, 
the Nephites possessing all the land northward, yea, even all the land which was northward of the land bountiful, according to their pleasure. Thus Moroni with his armies, which did increase daily, because of the assurance of protection which his works did bring forth unto them, did seek to cut off the strength and the power of the Lamanites from off the lands of their possessions, that they should have no power upon the lands of their possessions. At this point Moroni appears to have achieved his principal aim of fortifying all of the Nephite territory and blocked the Lamanites from penetrating any territory above the land of Nephi. Moroni also began to fortify the eastern seashore, and the first major city from which the Lamanites had been driven. Perhaps as a warning to the Lamanites, he named this city Moroni after himself. And it came to pass that the Nephites began the foundation of a city, and they called the name of the city Moroni. And it was by the East Sea, and it was on the south by the line of the possessions of the Lamanites. And they also began a foundation for a city between the city of Moroni and the city of Aaron, joining the borders of Aaron and Moroni. And they called the name of the city or the land Nephiha. And they also began in that same year to build many cities on the north, one in a particular manner which they called Lehi, which was in the north by the borders of the seashore. And thus ended the twentieth year. By referring to the map on the flyleaf of Volume 3, it is easy to see how Moroni was fortifying the entire land of the Nephites, and thus ended the twentieth year of the Judges, or 72 B.C. And in these prosperous circumstances were the people of Nephi in the commencement of the twenty and first year of the reign of the Judges over the people of Nephi. And they did prosper exceedingly, and they became exceedingly rich, yea, and they did multiply and wax strong in the land. And thus we see how merciful and just are all the dealings of the Lord, to the fulfilling of all his words unto the children of men. Yea, we can behold that his words are verified even at this time, which he spake unto Lehi, saying, Blessed art thou and thy children, and they shall be blessed. Inasmuch as they shall keep my commandments, they shall prosper in the land. But remember, inasmuch as they will not keep the commandments, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. It seems that Moroni had discovered the key to prosperity and peace for the Nephites. By fortifying every city in the land, he had kept the people industriously involved, and this had contributed to the cycle of prosperity they were presently enjoying. And we see that these promises have been verified to the people of Nephi. For it has been their quarrelings and their contentions, yea, their murderings and their plunderings, their idolatry, their whoredoms and their abominations which were among themselves, which brought upon them their wars and their destructions. And those who were faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord were delivered at all times whilst thousands of their wicked brethren have been consigned to bondage, or to perish by the sword, or to dwindle in unbelief and mingle with the Lamanites. But behold, there never was a happier time among the people of Nephi since the days of Nephi than in the days of Moroni, yea, even at this time, in the twenty and first year of the reign of the judges. 
In these verses, we see why the Nephites had suffered so much in the past when they were relatively idle but moderately prosperous. They had been their own worst enemies with quarrelings, murders, plunders, idolatry, and whoredoms. But now things were different. Moroni had the people too busy to conjure up quarreling and various wicked practices. The crowning compliment of these days was the statement that, quote, Never was there a happier time among the people of Nephi, unquote. And it came to pass that the twenty and second year of the reign of the judges also ended in peace, yea, and also the twenty and third year. And it came to pass that in the commencement of the twenty and fourth year of the reign of the judges, there would also have been peace among the people of Nephi, had it not been for a contention which took place among them concerning the land of Lehi and the land of Morianton, which joined upon the borders of Lehi, both of which were on the borders by the seashore. For behold, the people who possessed the land of Morianton did claim a part of the land of Lehi. Therefore there began to be a warm contention between them, insomuch that the people of Morianton took up arms against their brethren, and they were determined by the sword to slay them. Now we have several successive years of peace. But this wonderful interlude was interrupted when the city of Morianton, a Nephite city, began to claim some of the region belonging to the city of Lehi, and immediately the old spirit of war, greed, expropriations of property, and so forth, created the tinder for an open conflict. But behold, the people who possessed the land of Lehi fled to the camp of Moroni and appealed unto him for assistance. For behold, they were not in the wrong. And it came to pass that when the people of Morianton, who were led by a man whose name was Morianton, found that the people of Lehi had fled to the camp of Moroni, they were exceedingly fearful, lest the army of Moroni should come upon them and destroy them. Therefore Morianton put it into their hearts that they should flee to the land which was northward, which was covered with large bodies of water and take possession of the land which was northward. It is interesting that as soon as the people of Lehi fled to the camp of Moroni, the people of Morianton, who were causing all of the trouble, were terrified that Moroni would sweep down upon them. They therefore decided to cross the narrow neck of land and flee into the land northward where the bones of the Jaredites were scattered in total desolation. Of course, Moroni was most anxious that the land north would be protected from any settlement by people antagonistic to the Nephites, but his defenses were aimed at the Lamanites. As a result, Moriatton's scheme would have been secretly carried out with complete success had not one of his own people advised Moroni what Moriatton was planning. Here is how Moroni learned about it. And behold, they would have carried this plan into effect, which would have been a cause to have been lamented. But behold, Morianton, being a man of much passion, therefore he was angry with one of his maidservants, and he fell upon her and beat her much. And it came to pass that she fled, and came over to the camp of Moroni, and told Moroni all things concerning the matter, and also concerning their intentions to flee into the land northward. Now behold, the people who were in the land bountiful, or rather Moroni, feared that they would hearken to the words of Morianton and unite with his people, and thus he would obtain possession of those parts of the land 
which would lay a foundation for serious consequences among the people of Nephi, yea, which consequences would lead to the overthrow of their liberty. In spite of all Morianton's careful planning, here is how it all ended. Therefore Moroni sent an army with their camp to head the people of Morianton to stop their flight into the land northward. And it came to pass that they did not head them until they had come to the borders of the land desolation. And there they did head them by the narrow pass which led by the sea into the land northward, yea, by the sea on the west and on the east. And it came to pass that the army which was sent by Moroni, which was led by a man whose name was Teancum, did meet the people of Morianton, and so stubborn were the people of Morianton, being inspired by his wickedness and his flattering words, that a battle commenced between them, in the which Teancum did slay Morianton, and defeat his army, and took them prisoners, and returned to the camp of Moroni. And thus ended the twenty and fourth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. We have already seen how Moroni and the Nephite leaders proceeded to handle rebels who had been captured and subdued. We could have almost predicted how Moroni would handle the people of Morianton who had been taken prisoners. And thus were the people of Morianton brought back, and upon their covenanting to keep the peace they were restored to the land of Morianton, and a union took place between them and the people of Lehi, and they were also restored to their lands. As we come to the close of 68 B.C., we learn that Nephihah, the second chief judge, had died. This is the judge whom Alma tried to make the historian of the Nephites, but he had declined, probably because of his own age, and Alma had therefore turned everything over to his son Helaman. This is described in the following two verses. And it came to pass that in the same year that the people of Nephi had peace restored unto them, that Nephihah, the second chief judge, died, having filled the judgment seat with perfect uprightness before God. Nevertheless, he had refused Alma to take possession of those records and those things which were esteemed by Alma and his fathers to be most sacred. Therefore, Alma had conferred them upon his son, Helaman. So a new administration of government was established under a new head chief judge. Note the strict promises the new chief judge was required to make when he took his oath of office. Behold, it came to pass that the son of Nephihah was appointed to fill the judgment seat in the stead of his father. Yea, he was appointed chief judge and governor over the people with an oath and sacred ordinance to judge righteously, and to keep the peace and the freedom of the people, and to grant unto them their sacred privileges to worship the Lord their God, yea, to support and maintain the cause of God all his days, and to bring the wicked to justice according to their crime. Now behold, his name was Pehoran, and Pehoran did fill the seat of his father, and did commence his reign, in the end of the twenty and fourth year over the people of Nephi. Thus Pehoran commenced his reign at the end of 68 B.C. Alma chapter 51 There were certain elements of the Nephite population who were fickle and unstable. It was almost miraculous that Moroni and the chief judge had been able to maintain peace as long as they had. 
It turned out that Pehoran, the new chief judge, had barely settled into his new assignment when a contingent of ambitious leaders wanted to change the whole constitution of King Josiah in a very significant way. Keeping in mind that the constitution of Josiah was adopted according to a revelation from God, here is what the radical element wanted to do. And now it came to pass in the commencement of the twenty and fifth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, they having established peace between the people of Lehi and the people of Morianton concerning their lands, and having commenced the twenty and fifth year in peace, nevertheless, they did not long maintain an entire peace in the land, for there began to be a contention among the people concerning the chief judge Pehoran. For behold, there were a part of the people who desired that a few particular points of the law should be altered. But behold, Pehoran would not alter nor suffer the law to be altered. Therefore he did not hearken to those who had sent in their voices with their petitions concerning the altering of the law. Therefore those who were desirous that the law should be altered were angry with him, and desired that he should no longer be chief judge over the land. Therefore there arose a warm dispute concerning the matter, but not unto bloodshed. Now we learn why Pehoran the chief judge would not even consider the outrageous changes which certain ambitious leaders wanted to make. And it came to pass that those who were desirous that Pehoran should be dethroned from the judgment seat were called kingmen, for they were desirous that the law should be altered in a manner to overthrow the free government and to establish a king over the land. And those who were desirous that Pehoran should remain chief judge over the land took upon them the name of freemen. And thus was the division among them. For the freemen had sworn or covenanted to maintain their rights and the privileges of their religion by a free government. At first it looked like the division among the people could be settled amicably because the people agreed to decide the whole issue in a popular election. And it came to pass that this matter of their contention was settled by the voice of the people. And it came to pass that the voice of the people came in favor of the free men, and Pehoran retained the judgment seat, which caused much rejoicing among the brethren of Pehoran and also many of the people of liberty who also put the kingmen to silence, that they durst not oppose, but were obliged to maintain the cause of freedom. Now those who were in favor of kings were those of high birth, and they sought to be kings, and they were supported by those who sought power and authority over the people. The freemen had assumed that the question of a monarchy was completely solved in consequence of the popular election. However, the kingmen remained united and waited for some national emergency which might play into their hands. They didn't have long to wait. But behold, this was a critical time for such contentions to be among the people of Nephi. For behold, Amalickiah had again stirred up the hearts of the people of the Lamanites against the people of the Nephites. And he was gathering together soldiers from all parts of his land, and arming them and preparing for war with all diligence, for he had sworn to drink the blood of Moroni. But behold, we shall see that his promise which he made was rash. Nevertheless he did prepare himself and his armies to come to battle against the Nephites. 
Now his armies were not so great as they had hitherto been, because of the many thousands who had been slain by the hand of the Nephites. But notwithstanding their great loss, Amalickiah had gathered together a wonderfully great army, insomuch that he feared not to come down to the land of Zarahemla. Yea, even Amalickiah did himself come down at the head of the Lamanites. And it was in the twenty and fifth year of the reign of the judges. And it was at the same time that they had begun to settle the affairs of their contentions concerning the chief judge Pehoran. And it came to pass that when the men who were called king men had heard that the Lamanites were coming down to battle against them, they were glad in their hearts, and they refused to take up arms, for they were so wroth with the chief judge and also with the people of liberty that they would not take up arms to defend their country. This decision of the king men to refuse to take up arms was right when Amalekai was at their borders with a huge force of heavily armed assault troops. This meant that Captain Moroni had a major crisis to solve. How do you enter a major conflict with your house divided and the king men refusing to take up arms? Here is how Moroni obtained authority to dispose of this life and death situation. And it came to pass that when Moroni saw this, and also saw that the Lamanites were coming into the borders of the land, he was exceeding wroth because of the stubbornness of those people whom he had labored with so much diligence to preserve. Yea, he was exceeding wroth. His soul was filled with anger against them. And it came to pass that he sent a petition with the voice of the people unto the governor of the land, desiring that he should read it and give him, Moroni, power to compel those dissenters to defend their country or to put them to death. For it was his first care to put an end to such contentions and dissensions among the people. For behold, this had been hitherto a cause of all their destruction. And it came to pass that it was granted, according to the voice of the people. Once Moroni received the authority to end the treasonable mutiny of the kingmen, he took immediate action. And it came to pass that Moroni commanded that his army should go against those kingmen, to pull down their pride and their nobility and level them with the earth, or they should take up arms and support the cause of liberty. And it came to pass that the armies did march forth against them, and they did pull down their pride and their nobility, insomuch that as they did lift their weapons of war to fight against the men of Moroni, they were hewn down and leveled to the earth. And it came to pass that there were four thousand of those dissenters who were hewn down by the sword. And those of their leaders who were not slain in battle were taken and cast into prison, for there was no time for their trials at this period. Of course, Moroni knew that men who are compelled to fight in defense of their wives and children and even the existence of their country constitute the weakest possible semblance of an army. But these traitors had already done immeasurable damage to the Nephite defense structure. Here is what had happened. And the remainder of those dissenters, rather than be smitten down to the earth by the sword, yielded to the standard of liberty, and were compelled to hoist the title of liberty upon their towers and in their cities, and to take up arms in defense of their country. 
And thus Moroni put an end to those kingmen, that there were not any known by the appellation of kingmen. And thus he put an end to the stubbornness and the pride of those people who professed the blood of nobility. But they were brought down to humble themselves like unto their brethren, and to fight valiantly for their freedom from bondage. Behold, it came to pass that while Moroni was thus breaking down the wars and contentions among his own people, and subjecting them to peace and civilization, and making regulations to prepare for war against the Lamanites, behold, the Lamanites had come into the land of Moroni, which was in the borders by the seashore. And it came to pass that the Nephites were not sufficiently strong in the city of Moroni, therefore Amalickiah did drive them, slaying many. And it came to pass that Amalickiah took possession of the city, yea, possession of all their fortifications. And those who fled out of the city of Moroni came to the city of Nephiha. And also the people of the city of Lehi gathered themselves together, and made preparations, and were ready to receive the Lamanites to battle. But it came to pass that Amalickiah would not suffer the Lamanites to go against the city of Nephiha to battle, but kept them down by the seashore leaving men in every city to maintain and defend it. Amalickiah had a master plan designed to conquer the entire Nephite nation in the shortest possible time. By referring to the map on the flyleaf of Volume 3, it becomes immediately apparent how sensationally successful Amalickiah's plan began to work. The massive defense of the entire East Coast collapsed. And thus he went on, taking possession of many cities, the city of Nephiha, and the city of Lehi, and the city of Morianton, and the city of Omner, and the city of Gid, and the city of Mulek, all of which were on the east borders by the seashore. And thus had the Lamanites obtained, by the cunning of Amalickiah, so many cities by their numberless hosts, all of which were strongly fortified after the manner of the fortifications of Moroni all of which afforded strongholds for the Lamanites. And it came to pass that they marched to the borders of the land bountiful, driving the Nephites before them and slaying many. The borders of bountiful were at the extreme north of the land northward, and very near the narrow neck of land leading into the land of the Jaredites. Moroni had sent one of his top commanders to head up the Nephite force, and tried to prevent Amalickiah from fighting his way into the land bountiful. As these two great bodies of troops met in hand-to-hand -hand combat, it was a monumental conflict. But it came to pass that they were met by Teancum, who had slain Morianton and had headed his people in his flight. And it came to pass that he headed Amalickiah also, as he was marching forth with his numerous army, that he might take possession of the land bountiful and also the land northward. But behold, he met with a disappointment by being repulsed by Teancum and his men, for they were great warriors. For every man of Teancum did exceed the Lamanites in their strength and in their skill of war, insomuch that they did gain advantage over the Lamanites. And it came to pass that they did harass them, insomuch that they did slay them even until it was dark. And it came to pass that Teancum and his men did pitch their tents in the borders of the land bountiful, and Amalickiah did pitch his tents in the borders on the beach by the seashore, 
and after this manner were they driven. As the exhausted Amalekiah retired to his tent, surrounded by his guards, he would never have dreamed what would happen to him before morning. And it came to pass that when the night had come, Teancum and his servants stole forth and went out by night, and went into the camp of Amalekiah. And behold, sleep had overpowered them because of their much fatigue, which was caused by the labors and heat of the day. And it came to pass that Teancum stole privily into the tent of the king, and put a javelin to his heart. And he did cause the death of the king immediately that he did not awake his servants. And he returned again privily to his own camp, and behold, his men were asleep. And he awoke them, and told them all the things that he had done. And he caused that his army should stand in readiness, lest the Lamanites had awakened, and should come upon them. This was one of the most sensational heroic accomplishments of the entire war. Most importantly, it had ended the satanical career of the most wicked apostate Nephite in existence. And thus endeth the twenty and fifth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. And thus endeth the days of Amalickiah. And thus ended the year 67 B.C. Alma chapter 52. The scripture says it was New Year's Day of 66 B.C. when the guards in the tent of Amalickiah awakened to find their king with a javelin in his heart. There must have been pandemonium in the Lamanite camp. A portrait of Teancum poised to slay Amalickiah will be found on page 93 of volume 3. And now it came to pass in the twenty and sixth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, behold, when the Lamanites awoke on the first morning of the first month, behold, they found Amalickiah was dead in his own tent. And they also saw that Teancum was ready to give them battle on that day. Now when the Lamanites saw this, they were affrighted, and they abandoned their design in marching into the land northward, and retreated with all their army into the city of Mulek and sought protection in their fortifications. The massive retreat of the Lamanite army to the city of Mulek meant that they had fled to the nearest fortified city along the east seacoast to reconnoiter and choose a new leader. And it came to pass that the brother of Amalickiah was appointed king over the people, and his name was Amaron. Thus King Amaron, the brother of King Amalickiah, was appointed to reign in his stead. And it came to pass that he did command that his people should maintain those cities which they had taken by the shedding of blood. For they had not taken any cities, save they had lost much blood. Meanwhile, Teancum realized that the Lamanites would use their superior forces to hold every inch of conquered territory. Therefore, Teancum developed a defense strategy of his own, waiting for reinforcements from Moroni. And now Teancum saw that the Lamanites were determined to maintain those cities which they had taken, and those parts of the land which they had obtained possession of. And also seeing the enormity of their number, Teancum thought it was not expedient that he should attempt to attack them in their forts. But he kept his men round about as if making preparations for war. Yea, and truly 
he was preparing to defend himself against them by casting up walls round about and preparing places of resort. And it came to pass that he kept thus preparing for war until Moroni had sent a large number of men to strengthen his army. In due time, Chiancum received reinforcement and also a series of instructions from Moroni. And Moroni also sent orders unto him that he should retain all the prisoners who fell into his hands, for as the Lamanites had taken many prisoners, that he should retain all the prisoners of the Lamanites as a ransom for those whom the Lamanites had taken. And he also sent orders unto him that he should fortify the land bountiful, and secure the narrow pass which led into the land northward, lest the Lamanites should obtain that point, and should have power to harass them on every side. And Moroni also sent unto him, desiring him that he would be faithful in maintaining that quarter of the land, and that he would seek every opportunity to scourge the Lamanites in that quarter, as much as was in his power, that perhaps he might take again by stratagem or some other way those cities which had been taken out of their hands, and that he also would fortify and strengthen the cities round about which had not fallen into the hands of the Lamanites. And he also said unto him, I would come unto you, but behold, the Lamanites are upon us in the borders of the land by the west sea, and behold, I go against them, therefore I cannot come unto you. It is obvious that the Lamanites were able to maintain huge military forces on both the east and west fronts. This also compelled Moroni and Teancum to divide the Nephites on two fronts. Moroni's predicament was the result of fast action by the new king Amaron. We learn he did not stay in the city of Mulek with his troops, but went back to Nephi to report to the queen and mobilize a new army to attack in the west where Moroni was located. Now the king, Amoron, had departed out of the land of Zarahemla, and had made known unto the queen concerning the death of his brother, and had gathered together a large number of men, and had marched forth against the Nephites on the borders by the West Sea. And thus he was endeavoring to harass the Nephites, and to draw away a part of their forces to that part of the land. While he had commanded those whom he had left to possess the cities which he had taken, that they should also harass the Nephites on the borders by the East Sea, and should take possession of their lands as much as it was in their power, according to the power of their armies. For nearly a year there was a stalemate on the battlefront. The only significant change was the fact that Moroni was able to take a fairly large military force and join Teancum. And thus were the Nephites in those dangerous circumstances in the ending of the twenty and sixth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. But behold, it came to pass in the twenty and seventh year of the reign of the judges that Teancum, by the command of Moroni, who had established armies to protect the south and the west borders of the land, and had begun his march towards the land bountiful, that he might assist Teancum with his men in retaking the cities which they had lost. And it came to pass that Teancum had received orders to make an attack upon the city of Mulek, and retake it, if it were possible. And it came to pass that Teancum made preparations to make an attack upon the city of Mulek, and march forth with his army against the Lamanites. But he saw that it was impossible that he could overpower them while they were in their fortifications. 
Therefore he abandoned his designs and returned again to the city Bountiful to wait for the coming of Moroni that he might receive strength to his army. And it came to pass that Moroni did arrive with his army at the land Bountiful in the latter end of the twenty and seventh year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. It is rather amazing how these vast military forces continued in their stalemate until 64 B.C. However, a war council was finally held and Moroni recommended that they somehow lure the Lamanites in the city of Mulek to come out and fight. And in the commencement of the twenty and eighth year, Moroni and Teancum and many of the chief captains held a council of war, what they should do to cause the Lamanites to come out against them to battle, or that they might by some means flatter them out of their strongholds, that they might gain advantage over them and take again the city of Mulek. And it came to pass that they sent embassies to the army of the Lamanites, which protected the city of Mulek, to their leader, whose name was Jacob, desiring him that he would come out with his armies to meet them upon the plains between the two cities. But behold, Jacob, who was a Zoramite, would not come out with his army to meet them upon the plains. We now come to a moment of desperation where Moroni felt compelled to trick the Lamanites by somehow luring a major portion of their army to evacuate the city so they could be attacked. So here is what happened. And it came to pass that Moroni, having no hopes of meeting them upon fair grounds, therefore he resolved upon a plan that he might decoy the Lamanites out of their strongholds. Therefore he caused that Teancum should take a small number of men and march down near the seashore. And Moroni and his army by night marched in the wilderness on the west of the city Mulek. And thus on the morrow, when the guards of the Lamanites had discovered Teancum, they ran and told it unto Jacob their leader. And it came to pass that the armies of the Lamanites did march forth against Teancum, supposing by their numbers to overpower Teancum because of the smallness of his numbers. And as Teancum saw the armies of the Lamanites coming out against him, he began to retreat down by the seashore, northward. Although Moroni and Teancum were both taking very hazardous chances with this dangerous strategy, it appeared for the moment that it might work. And it came to pass that when the Lamanites saw that he began to flee, they took courage and pursued them with vigor. And while Teancum was thus leading away the Lamanites who were pursuing them in vain, behold, Moroni commanded that a part of his army who were with him should march forth into the city and take possession of it. And thus they did, and slew all those who had been left to protect the city, yea, all those who would not yield up their weapons of war. And thus Moroni had obtained possession of the city Mulek with a part of his army, while he marched with the remainder to meet the Lamanites when they should return from the pursuit of Teancum. After Moroni had successfully captured the city of Mulek, the task was to be able to hold it when the main army returning from pursuing Teancum arrived. Although Moroni did not know it, the Lamanite army had pursued Teancum a great distance, almost to the city of Bountiful, where General Lehi was in charge. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did pursue Teancum until they came near the city Bountiful. 
and then they were met by Lehi and a small army which had been left to protect the city Bountiful. And now behold, when the chief captains of the Lamanites had beheld Lehi with his army coming against them, they fled in much confusion, lest perhaps they should not obtain the city Mulek before Lehi should overtake them. For they were wearied because of their march, and the men of Lehi were fresh. Now the Lamanites did not know that Moroni had been in their rear with his army, and all they feared was Lehi and his men. Now Lehi was not desirous to overtake them till they should meet Moroni and his army. And it came to pass that before the Lamanites had retreated far, they were surrounded by the Nephites, by the men of Moroni on one hand and the men of Lehi on the other, all of whom were fresh and full of strength, but the Lamanites were wearied because of their long march. And Moroni commanded his men that they should fall upon them until they had given up their weapons of war. And it came to pass that Jacob, being their leader, being also a Zoramite, and having an unconquerable spirit, he led the Lamanites forth to battle with exceeding fury against Moroni. Since the Lamanite army was surrounded, their only hope was to somehow cut their way through Moroni's forces so that they could get back to the city of Mulek with its massive defenses. The ensuing conflict was terrible. Moroni being in their course of march, therefore Jacob was determined to slay them and cut his way through to the city of Mulek. But behold, Moroni and his men were more powerful, therefore they did not give way before the Lamanites. And it came to pass that they fought on both hands with exceeding fury. And there were many slain on both sides. Yea, and Moroni was wounded, and Jacob was killed. And Lehi pressed upon their rear with such fury with his strong men, that the Lamanites in the rear delivered up their weapons of war. And the remainder of them, being much confused, knew not whether to go or to strike. At this juncture the wounded Moroni shouted a loud proposal to the Lamanites. Now Moroni, seeing their confusion, he said unto them, If ye will bring forth your weapons of war and deliver them up, behold, we will forbear shedding your blood. And it came to pass that when the Lamanites had heard these words, their chief captains, all those who were not slain, came forth and threw down their weapons of war at the feet of Moroni, and also commanded their men that they should do the same. But behold, there were many that would not, and those who would not deliver up their swords were taken and bound, and their weapons of war were taken from them, and they were compelled to march with their brethren forth into the land bountiful. And now the number of prisoners who were taken exceeded more than the number of those who had been slain, yea, more than those who had been slain on both sides. Of course there was great danger in taking so many prisoners who were actually still in the fighting mode and had to have their weapons forcibly taken away from them. Perhaps Moroni wanted to use these prisoners to exchange for the many Nephites who were being held captive in the numerous cities the Lamanites had already conquered. In any event, it was dangerous to take such a huge body of prisoners into the city of Bountiful. We hope you're enjoying this podcast by W. Cleon Skousen. To find additional books and recordings on this and other topics, please visit skousenlibrary.com.